Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Hall of Fame strength and conditioning coach Dana DeLoop, hosted by Darius Ducree. Uh, hello, everyone. This is Coach Darius Ducree of the 58th Style here, strength and conditioning coach. I'm here with Hall of Fame, hair strength and conditioning coach, a legend in the field, blessed to have as my mentor, Coach Dana LaDuke. Coach, it is a pleasure to have you on today. I uh, hope that you trip. I know you and your family, you and your wife made it back out there to Washington. Y'all had a little hiccup the other day. Uh, but so glad that we were able to reschedule. How's it going, Coach? Oh, it's going good, man. Yeah, we got that windshield. Finally, after three summers of taking rocks, we got it done, man. <laughs> this one, this last rock forced us to take it down all the way. So, Oh, yeah. sure. I got a Jeep. I'm going to be doing the same thing real soon, Coach. Yeah. So really, really quickly, um, I mean, again, you have such an extensive career. You know, uh, I don't think a lot of people know. I mean, you're one of America's, you know, first strength coaches, you know, as well as uh, – uh, 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 you know, uh, just just as an athlete yourself with the accolades that you have, I mean, two and a half minutes is going to be hard. But can you just share with everybody, you know, your 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 career experience and how you came up into the field? You know, I came out of Washington State. I took a scholarship to Kansas originally uh, to throw the shot put. I figured I'd play football if I wanted to, and. Uh, you know, I got to Kansas, man. They had the top three shot putters in America in college. And the top guy was a guy that was top, was one of the top five or six internationally. So I learned a lot about weight training. I'd never lift a weight out here in Washington growing up. I threw 64 feet uh, in high school, which was about a quarter of an inch off the all-time state record. I didn't really know. I had a great coach in high school. I played basketball. I was about 6'3" you know, 230, 235. I, I played football. I played all of them, but I fell in love with that shot put. And then when I got to Kansas, man, that 16-pound ball is a different animal. And, uh, you know, that four pounds to move up to the Olympic caliber, college caliber, you know, I knew I'd have to start lifting. Even though I threw 55 feet in high school with a 16, it still wasn't going to get it. You know, they was throwing 70 feet. So, I got on the weights there for a year. It just was too cold for me. I came to the Texas Relays my freshman year, fell in love with Austin, and uh, I brought my training. Actually, I ended up going to UTEP for a semester, University of Texas, El Paso. They had a big Swedish freshman that I was going to have to compete against. He got third in the NCAAs my freshman year. I got 10th. And the winner of the NCAAs my freshman year in Eugene was the senior at UTEP, Fred DiBernardi. Anyway, uh, both those guys were training there. So my buddy from high school, who was from Idaho, went to Washington State. We both transferred to UTEP. And our head coach got fired, man, in, in uh, November. We had, when I got there in August, man, half the team was gone to the Olympic Games. We had a hell of a team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were right there by Las Cruces. And, and uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed that part of the country. When he got let go, we're like, oh, man, we're here, and it's going to be 
it could be ugly, you know, let's, let's go. And I almost went to UT. It was between UT and, and uh, UTEP. But U, UT had big Bishop Delegowitz, who was my age, and I would have had the school record at UT. I needed to go where I could get better, where guys were better than me, so I could push myself. That's always been my MO, man. I got to be around guys that are, that are better than me, and that's kind of what I did when I brought in people as a strength coach. So off we go to UT. Uh, trained there, won the NCAA championship. I was going to California to train for the Olympics. Daryl Royal called me into his office and said, hey, man, these guys think you can help us. You know, some of the players were sneaking up into the weight room against the will of the head trainer and them to work out. We're like, oh, man, you, you dudes. I mean, hey, man, you guys are like 270, 280. You're faster than we are for 10 yards. You out-jump us in a vertical. You outweigh us by 30, 40 pounds. What are you guys doing? I said, man, you got to come up here and lift weights. Well, we're not supposed to, but a few of the guys. So anyway, at the end of the day, man, he called me and said, hey, the guys think you can help us. I'll never forget. He said, we'll offer you $10,000 a year, man, whatever you'd make. It. I know what your degree is in. You're going to be a teacher. Your first year teaching salary would be about 10000 That's what we'll give you. And we'll go from there. And uh, I said, coach, I got to talk to my folks. I came up through the military. My dad was in the Army out here in Fort Lewis. Washington and Tacoma and, and I called him he said son if you don't take that job don't ever think about coming back here he said uh he, you know who Daryl Royal is University of Texas you you got to take that job so I did and I felt my way through it and uh I trained my guys the same way I did man explosively and because I'd been through it man uh when, when I took a semester off my junior year moved to Dallas to train with some Olympians and they were Olympic lifters as well as throwers and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't all that. We weren't all that crazy about Olympic lifting, man. It was awful hard, you know. And uh, you get tired real easily. And so, you know, we just tend to press more, bench, incline, squat. We never really did deadlifts. We do cleans every now and then. We didn't do any snatches. We didn't do any close grip snatches. We didn't do a lot of jerks. But, you know, so we're like, hey. Uh, when I was up there, man, my stuff got better. I got my practice throws got better. I'm like, why is this? Well, it's got to be the lifting that I'm doing. So I went back after a semester and, you know, got back into uh, school and uh, got ready for my senior year. And I was throwing as far as I've ever thrown. And, uh, you know, the guys kind of, they, you know, they weren't really all that high on doing this because I was doing Olympic lift. And then the guys in Dallas, like, hey, man, we're not pressing till the end of the day. That'd be the last thing we do is bench press. And if we do, we're going to put, put a pillow on our chest and we're going to explode it off our chest. We don't want to do anything slow. And so I kind of brought back some of those techniques and they were with it for a while. They're like, man, this stuff, you know, this gas is out. I could kind of get the feeling. I'm like, man. So I went back with them and the old school stuff. We, we'd been to it and my stuff started going down distance wise. I'm saying, that's it. I'm going back to my stuff that I did in Dallas. And they, they kind of came along with me, and we all got better, man. So, and, and, and that's how I trained my guys, to be explosive. I knew enough about football, man. You've got to be explosive to play the game, no matter what position you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me so, ask you this, Coach. How, especially coming from an era when you started, you know, there was this big – uh, I, I, I guess there's this a negative view of hitting the iron, of hitting the weights, and, and, and the thought of it was going to make guys or athletes slower. What motivated you to push 
you know, that, that effort of, hey, this isn't going to hurt our guys. This is really going to be uh, beneficial, not just to the sport, you know, but, but, but long-term for the, in, in their athletic careers. Well, you know, one of the things when we came back my senior year, a lot of those players, you know, were in my classes. They had me one time jump up on a 50-inch box. I was weighing 290 pounds. And the, the, the professor goes, hey, you want to see something amazing? Let me show you what weight training will do. Do you think this guy can jump up on this box? This is in the middle of one of my exercise physiology classes. He brings a box in. I jump up on it, and the, 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 the girls are like, what? you got to be kidding me. I said, well, you've you got to train to do this. And, and uh, then the players would see us out during spring ball. We'd be throwing, and they're like, hey, man, you guys want to race? And we'd line up for 10 yards, man, and, and we'd beat them by a yard or two. We outweighed them by 30. Like, So my guys, the guys at UT saw me doing this, and they knew what I was doing to be able to do this, outweigh them, outjump them. And uh, I dunked a shot put one time in a class, a 16-pound shot put. We put, it, we put a mattress down. I jumped up with a 16-pound shot and dunked it through a rim. You got to be kidding me. You could jump. I could dunk it any way you wanted it dunked, standing flat-footed at 290 pounds. And they all saw this in the classes that I had. And they're like, so, Coach, really, quite honestly, it wasn't much of a tough sell. Had I come in from the outside, they didn't know me from Adam. Dude, it would have been a whole different animal. I'd have really had to sell the thing, right? But they saw me. And I said, hey, y'all want to come up to the gym? I mean, I wish we'd have had video back then. Because two of us jerked 500 pounds behind the neck. We jerked 500 off the racks, jerked 500. Come on up and we'll show you what we do. Squatted 805, bench 560. Come on up. We'll show you what we do. And they did. And go, when I got that job, it was like, you know, quite honestly, the toughest part was making these guys do what you wanted them to do because, hey, wait a minute, man. We was out drinking last year. We were in the bar together. Now, how are you going to be my boss? Now, hey, I got, that, I got that title now. I'm the boss man. So, hey, don't be giving me no bullcorn because this is what we're going to do. They hired me to do a job. I'm still going to be your friend. But it wasn't until the first couple of years to get those classes out of there where the younger cats came in. They're like, hey, we heard about you. They hadn't seen me, but they'd heard enough about me to know, hey, this cat knows what's going on, man, because he did. He got that BT degree. Been there. BTDT. Been there, done that. And so for me, it was quite honestly, Coach, it was a pretty easy sell. So let's talk. Let's talk about you talking about you know the 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 exercises, the the integral lifts um, that you were utilizing with a lot of your athletes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you were the first strength coach at UT, correct? Correct. Yeah. So you, I mean, you're you're dealing with football and other sports, and and you know you're you're, you're out there. You know what what what? Where did you? I mean, methodology wise. Uh, where did you look to to get your methodology uh, for the success of your teams there? And, and you know, talking about like progressions and everything like me. You, I mean, you, yourself and and other coaches that that are our predecessors. I mean, you you all set the foundation 
you know what I mean, for a lot of guys and gals like myself who are coaching, you know, where do you, where, how, do you, how do you get this information when, you know, nowadays information is right at, at our hands with the cell phones? You know, you know, Coach, my freshman year at Kansas, I told you one of those throwers, Carl Saul, he was one of the – he beat Randy Matson at the, uh, at the uh, Pan American Games. He had traveled all over. He was one of the best in the U.S., he had been to Germany and trained with Hans-Peter Gies, uh, Brisnik, the top throwers in the world that were East German, West German. And at the time, the East Germans were way ahead. And even some of the uh, Soviets, Barishnikov, hey, you're training with these dudes and you're seeing what they do because you're in the weight rooms over there in Europe and you're competing and therefore you're lifting with those guys. He would bring back all this uh, technical stuff that the Germans – by either watching them and or being able to conversate through an interpreter, he brought this back to Lawrence, Kansas. Dude, I was sucking this up like a vacuum cleaner. Number one, because I wanted to win. Carl won six NCAA titles, three indoors and three outdoors. And he was runner-up as a freshman. He was fourth place at the Olympic trials. They wouldn't let... uh, That was his freshman year coming out of Arkansas. Recruited by 6'4", 260 pounds, through 69 feet. It was a national prep record. Frank Brawls wanted him to play football. The guy was a beast in 1967, right? So 68 his freshman year. Coach, he's fourth place at the Olympic trials right out of high school. He just missed making the Olympic team. So, dude, he would have won eight titles. But freshmen could not compete on a varsity. He had better throws than anybody in the country as a true freshman. Like I said, he was runner-up, fourth place, just missed at the Olympic trials. I got fifth place as a senior. This dude was fourth place as a freshman. So, dude, he was, he was big time and really a smart guy. His father was a doctor in Crossett, Arkansas, same hometown as Barry Switzer, right across from Monroe, Louisiana. And so uh, – Dude, I, I, he was one of the smartest guys I ever met. So I was just, I was sopping up all the stuff, anything in training. We pretty much did, you know, the stuff he wanted. Heck, I didn't know anything, Coach. I'd never lifted a weight. But one of the big things we did do that the Germans thought was good was always to build a strong base. You know, find that 80, 85%, five sets of five always seemed to be, you know, if you're going to have a player that's going to last – throughout a season, throughout a track season, throughout a football season, which is what the way I looked at it anyway. You know, I know you can't peak for every game, but one thing's for sure, you want to have a solid foundation, whether it's building a house or building a foundation for your body from the standpoint of power. So I can remember doing a lot of five-by-five, man, and then we'd have areas of time where we'd go up and and we'd work on our maximum strength. Coach, this was back in 1971. The Germans were on top. They were kicking our butt in the Olympic Games, the swimming, everything else. Now, all else being equal with everything else that was going on at that time in the world of athletics, as we well know, hey, they were still, you know, these Germans, a country the size of New York, they were beating mm-hmm. the United States of America in gold medals. They were doing something right, and they had science on their side. So I picked up a lot of that. And then when I went to UTEP, Fred DiBernardi was a a top dog as well at that point in time. He had traveled throughout. And then the Hans Hoagland kid, the freshman from Sweden, 
He was a 21, 22-year-old Swede. He had he brought that Scandinavian uh, background of training. So here I am sucking all this in. And then when I go to UT, Bishop was from Canada, from Toronto. He had, uh, you know, there was a number of Germans and Russians that defected to Canada. He was getting all that info every summer. He would bring that back to us. So together, all of us, we put together our own pro. We didn't have a coach at UT. We didn't have a weight coach. We didn't have a throws coach. We watched each other, and uh, two of us were national champions. McGoldrick from Idaho and the discus and myself and the and the shot. And Bishop was right there, uh, always number two or number three in the country. So with all that training and then after four years, dude, I had no idea that there would ever be a strength coach for college. All I know is that I sucked this knowledge in because I wanted to be the best. And uh, I worked, we, we, we swore to each other that nobody around the country would work harder than we would. And that when we showed up at a track meet wearing that Texas singlet with that Texas across the front of your chest, we felt like we were supermen. And that people, people would learn to respect the throwers from Texas would always stand tall. And, and, and that's the way we looked at it, Coach. We, you know, we, we had a chip on our shoulder like, hey, man, we're down here in the middle of nowhere in, in the central part of the state. But I'm going to tell you one thing. People are going to find out about us now. Yes, sir. Whether it's yes, Kansas sir. Relays, Drake Relays, Penn Relays, West Coast Relays. They're going to know when they see the guys. Well, we heard about y'all. <laughs> y'all some bad dudes. Yeah. You, ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. So we'll, yes, we'll show you. That's kind of the attitude we had, man. Now, let me ask you this, Coach. When you're, you're transitioning to being a full-time strength coach, and when you were able to – because you went from Texas, you had a little stint at Miami, and then you right. were able to go into the NFL. When you were able to develop your staff – what was the what was some of the ways that you were able to create buy-in from your athletes with with you and your staff, or just I mean you by yourself? Because I know you were at Texas by yourself for a period of time too. Yeah, well, you know one of the, one of the things I, I would talk to them about was, hey man, I hate to tell you, but you know you are not limited by what your body weight says you are right now. Now, one of the things that is for sure. When I would test a freshman coming in, I would show him pictures as time would go by because I put them against uh, against a, a module on the wall where you could see them with shorts on. You could see their neck, their neck, their biceps, arms out, their quads, their abs, everything, shirt off, shorts on only. I would measure them anthropometrically you know, three inches above the, uh, the, the patella, seven inches above the tela, at the gastroc, at the waist, at the shoulders, at the biceps, at the neck. I had all these measurements every year. And I would show them players of years gone by, pictures and measurements. Here it is, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. You want to change like this? This is what you have to do. We had no video at the time. We didn't video. We had pictures. And, Coach, it spoke a thousand words. Now, again, if you want to look and see what I did, if you want to look at my background, because, number one, you know, who's giving you this milk? 
is going to come from a cow. He knows how to give the milk. So I am the cow. This is what I did in my career. I wasn't a football player. But here at the Olympic Development Camp, here's my vertical jump, 34 inches at 295 pounds. Here's my body composition, 13% body fat at 295. Here are the measurements. I kept all, I still have all that stuff. Here is, here is uh, my fast twitch to slow twitch when they did a biopsy on my calf. And the guy is still at UT that did that biopsy. He was at Ball State at the time. He's the head of the department still to this day. He, he texted me. I mean, he, he Facebooked my wife and said, is this, is this Dana LaDuke's wife? Yeah. He said, Coach, I'm here after 40 years. I remember take, the last time I saw you, I did your bicep, uh, uh, I mean, your gastroc uh, test. So I had all this information, and I saved it for some odd reason. And player after player, if they ever wanted to come back, I thought I'd be there a while. If they ever wanted to come back and show their children how they developed, hey, this is what your dad looked like coming up. Because a lot of cases, go their high school coaches didn't save a lot of stuff, nor did they even train in high school at the time. So I had this volume of information for them to show their wife and their coach. Can you pull that out? They'd come in on a Saturday morning or Friday afternoon for a Saturday home game. Oh, dude, come on down. Because I was done in the afternoon on Friday for a home game. Come on down, man. I'll show you. I'd have guys coming in all the time. So it, it was great. I mean, they loved it. And that motivated their, their kids. Now, Coach, I'm going to bring you to the industry because I know uh, – pl- please remind me because you, you had some of the first dealings with the NSCA uh, – uh, the exam and the organization itself, correct? Yeah, we were founding fathers. There was like 69 of us in 1977 that went to Lincoln, Nebraska that founded the NSCA. That's okay, 69 that's coaches. There was a so, couple of pro coaches, and all the rest mm-hmm. of us were college coaches. So let me ask you in terms of where, where it started and where we are now, um, what do you think we need to do to better continue to move the needle forward and establish establishing ourselves? You know, as I, as, as it seems like there's this constant push that we have to continue to uh, reprove ourselves as professionals in the industry. Well, you know, quite, quite honestly, I mean, the thing has grown so fast and has gotten so huge I think they got away from a little bit of the practical information that you really need. I mean, again, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So to say that you need to press like this, to say that you need to bounce the bar, to say that you need to touch and go, to say that you need to have a wide grip, a close grip. I mean, you have to give these coaches on an individual level, you have to give them, they have to have some leeway so they don't become tied to one script. As quite honestly, this whole organization needs to be tied in together worldwide. We need to have the Russians on board. We need to have the Germans on board. We need to get some of the old school uh, coaches and physiologists that are still alive that should be conducting and meeting together somewhere in the world and establishing uh, a better criteria. Because quite honestly, my times in Europe and Russia 
We were the laughing stock, our coaches. You guys do anything. You don't have to be certified to be a coach. Anybody can be a coach in the USA. I'm saying, well, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, there, there was no certification. People were plugging people in. And, you know, uh, I, I think we've gotten away from, uh, uh, you know, things gotten so big. It's, it's, a, it's a money thing. And the, they put on this, that, and the other. I would love to see this thing tied into more of a practicum uh, to where, uh, you know, techniques. But, you know, not every te- – every techniques can be slightly different, you know, from – from that, from the power clean, you know, the Russians always told me, put the bar uh, should be resting right over your your first two eyelets on your shoes. You know, then you got some people that teach you that all the bar needs to be on your shins. You know, roll it in close to your shins. Well, that's totally opposite of what the Russians are saying. Well, I looked at who who the best in the world were. Quite honestly, it was Alexiev uh, and uh, David Regert, and so hey, that, kind of that's what I'm going to do because again, I want to be the best in the world. So. You know, somehow we've 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 gotten away from uh, from making this more of a, a practicum, and and also, you know, when you get into sets and reps, I mean, there there's got to be, you know, you got the bigger, faster, stronger method. You know, you got the pyramid ten, eight, six. That you know, we can we can roll out the ball and just say do the pyramid, you know, or or we can take the athlete's temperature every day by seeing basically how strong, that's an angel spaz off way. Before we do 90%, you know, 95% of it, I want to see what the temperature is. And basically, that means I want to see how strong he is today. Because quite honestly, if you start out on a seven, six, seven, eight-week plan, and you test uh, the athlete before you go, hey, six weeks down the road, he could be a lot stronger than what your single was. So you might have him doing 80% going by the, by, by the original pre-test single. And really, you might, be, you might be at 72% rather than 80 because the kid's gotten stronger, especially if he's a beginner because these kids will get strong in a hurry. So what's wrong with seeing where he's at that particular day? Take him up quick. Don't fatigue him. You know, do a set of 50% for three reps, 70% for one. 89 okay we've done five reps dude your single today is 300 that that that's already 20 pounds more than the 280 you tested at you know five six weeks ago so we are going to do 90 percent of 300 not 280 so we need to be more on point and and more active with where the athlete is now so again that's an angel spaz off thing to where he liked to call it i'm going to check your temperature today and, and I get that, and I've used that. I'm gonna tell you something. It works. It works. Now, coach, I gotta ask you because you know, as as I get older in the field, and I know when I got in, you know, uh, uh, coach, I know I'm gonna have to shout him out. Coach uh, Justin Schwinn likes to use the term "piss and vinegar." We out on the floor, we're yelling, we loud. You know, especially when we're maxing our athletes out, or, or we're going through our speed testing or conditioning tests. You know, where where was your coaching style back when you started? And then I definitely would think everybody would like love to know how your style changed, if it did change when you were working with the professional athletes with the NFL. Well, you know, my style as a result from from throwing and lifting myself 
has always been learn how to turn it on and learn how to turn it off. I realize that that adrenaline flow, man, it doesn't last forever. And I also understand that, you know, when it's going to be a big day in the weight room, it is game day in the weight room. When it's game day in the weight room, it's like, dude, I got six throws. I got six throws. I cannot in between for 15, 10, 12, whatever it is time-wise before I'm up again. I can't be running around acting a fool, right? Because the next throw I get in for, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm finished. So early on in my career, uh, and, and I plugged it into the weight room. It was kind of just one of the things I did. I never really talked to anybody about it, but I felt like if I did this, I would be juiced up just as much for the next single and or the next throw. So I have always taught my guys, listen, learn how to turn this on and turn it off. Out on that football field, you don't have to act a clown and a wild man, you know, while that other team's in the huddle and lining up. Hey, the minute they come to that line of scrimmage, you flip the switch. The minute that whistle blows, you learn how to flip it off. And you're going to have to do that 60 times, a hell of a lot more than what I had to do six times. So, yeah, I mean, it's always been for me, I call it flip the switch. And, uh, and you know what? It's proven to be pretty good for me. And the players, a lot of these guys, young guys, man, they, they have been uh, – They've come back and been very thankful to me uh, because they they never really uh, they never really got that you know they they wanted they, they was on they was trying to be on and you know how that goes man fourth quarter you're toast you just can't you you can't rev it up man if it comes a point in time they say the Russians have always said you're good for about forty five minutes you know and, and that's it you know and then and then that body the adrenaline and everything else man the hormones that begin to shut down so somehow. You know, my endocrine systems have affected my hormone levels and, and, and my, and, and my uh, adrenaline, which I know how to flip on and flip off. We've all heard the stories about, about lifting heavy cars off of folks, you know, when you're juiced up and, and uh, high as a dang kite. Well, yeah, you got to do that, but you can't run that forever. It don't, it don't work. So I've always called it flip the switch, man. If somehow it just came on to me as a – as a young little freshman, I did a little bit of it in high school. Again, we didn't really know what we were doing, man. My my coach, Tom Sawyer, God bless him, man. He 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 was a good man. He tried to get me. He was a former Marine. He get tried to get me hyped up, and but I can't see that yelling all the time, man. Because you know what? Sooner or later, uh, what's important and what's not important, man. Is everything that important? Yeah, it's all important. But you know what? When you get under that bar, and you're you're going to hit a load that you've never hit before, you better have your ass ready to go. That's totally different than, than uh, if I'm used to bicep curling, you know, 150 pounds for 10 reps. I've been there, done that, but I got that BTDT. You know, hey, ain't nothing to that now. So Yes, sir. So, Coach, let me ask you this. Is there anything that you feel that you might have done differently in your career uh, any mistakes that you think that you might have made that if you could push the, the rewind button, you can go back and redo? You know, probably probably looking at uh, building that base 
I might have spent I might have spent a little bit too much time throughout the year in the off season worrying about that. Uh, however, uh, you know, we'd have some kids, and again, most as times have changed, uh, I probably should have changed a little bit more with it. But again, not always knowing what the kids in high school were doing because when I first started, there was no training. So I needed to spend a lot of time on that. And boy, we got a lot of growth, Coach. We got a lot of growth out of our kids, you know, by doing that base work. Uh, I was never really big on tens. You know, I honestly think that strength is endurance, but endurance is not necessarily strength. You know, if I had you doing two and a quarter at the combine, I'm not going to have you mess with two and a quarter. If you do 300 pounds, say you do two and a quarter for seven or eight reps, hey, I'm going to try to get your single to 350. Now go back down to two and a quarter. All of a sudden, coach, we haven't even done reps. And I'm doing 12, 13 reps now. Well, yeah, again, strength is endurance, but not necessarily is endurance strength. And, you know, if you really want to train endurance, I'm not so sure that, you know, it doesn't maybe do more harm than good for your, for your chances to really improve when it comes to a high rep test. So, you know, when the kids would come out of high school way back, they had done nothing, Coach. So I really spent, like myself, I looked at it like that. But as time went on, uh, they were, some of these kids were coming out of good programs. I probably could have done a little less time, uh, you know, building, building a base and gotten them more into, uh, you know, to more uh, uh, maximal strength development. So, you know, we, we got a lot of youngsters, a lot of young coaches coming up in the field. You know, what is some a person with too extensive background, Coach? What's and you've been been giving me some great advice with, within my career. What, what's some what's some advice that you could offer? You know, a young coach coming up in, in undergrad, an intern or a GA. You know, that's really trying to get a foothold uh, into where he or she wants to be in. Well, you know, the money has changed so much in this business. I would say this: if you're getting into it because of the money, the six, the five, the six, the seven hundred thousand dollar year salaries. You're getting in it for the wrong reason. I think you have to get in it. I think you got, have to get in it for one of the same reasons that I got in it. And that is you're done with your career, whatever it may be. If you happen to have been an athlete, if you happen to have been whatever you happen to be. Now it's time to focus on somebody else's career. You want to take with every ounce of knowledge you can gain and help develop a young man or a young woman into being the very, very best they can be physically so that they can perform at the highest possible level. If you don't see yourself wanting to take and lead that ride for that athlete, and now we're talking about multiple athletes, to see that ride and to take that ride with them on an individual basis, and I'm talking about most of these coaches will be responsible for, it could be 100 or more athletes, depending on what sports you have. But as a head football guy, you know you got 100, at least, with walk-ons and scholarships. If you don't see yourself doing that and, and not worrying about the hours and not worrying about whatever it takes 
you know, you're probably getting in it for the right reason. If you're getting in it because you think, well, man, look at me, you know, I'm going to be a cup. Look at the money I'm going to make as a strength coach. Quite, quite honestly, if we're recruiting really good players, you know, I can, you know, I can work hard with them and this and that and the other, but what a, I could do this for five years and be retired. No, no. You, you, you're, uh, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're better off going and working for Microsoft or Amazon and using your brains and doing something. If, if you want to retire in a short period of time and you're not totally committed to each and every individual that you have, be it a male or female athlete, and what makes them tick and what drives them. And, uh, you know, you're going, to be, you're going to be involved with each and every one of these athletes. Uh, mentally, uh, you, you've got to know where they're at on a daily basis when they come into train. I mean, you, you are a psychologist, you are a motivator, uh, you are a mentor. In many cases, they will, if you're not into all these things and wearing about seven or eight different hats, you're in the wrong business. And for crying out loud, please don't get into it for the money. Because there was no money when we were in it. There was a little bit of money for me at the end of my career after 35 years. But it wasn't until about the last. I'd still be working if it wasn't for uh, the St. Louis Rams, honestly. And now, I mean, uh, you know, Alabama, Iowa, Texas, these guys, you do five years at five, uh, five or 600000 $3 million. You're walking with one five. I mean, you do 10 years of that, you know, you got two or $3 million in the bank, 5% tax free, please. 150,000 a year, who can't live on that? There's a lot of strength coaches don't make 150,000 a year tax free. You know, you, you start getting to Texas State, you start going to uh, even UT El Paso or New Mexico State. They ain't making that kind of dope. Some of these strength coaches now at these D1 schools are making as much as these Mid-American Conference Head football coaches are making. These guys don't make seven, eight hundred thousand a year. A lot of them are making four, five, six hundred thousand. So, again, man, my my big deal is, hey, you better be in it for what it is, and you better be willing to wear a lot of hats, and you better be willing to sacrifice a lot of time. You can't punch in and punch out. You don't worry about your hourly wage. I, people would tell me, dude, you know how much you make an hour when you spend 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a day up here, you know? And then I took all the women's programs at UT on in 77 for one month's salary for $880 for 12 months, 880 divided by 12 months, divided by all the female athletes. I'm not even, I, I just, I just thought, well, that'll be $880. So what, you know, oh, absolutely, yes. Or the police academy for $750 at 5 in the morning for 30 or 40 uh, police academy. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, you know, I'd like to see these guys a little more fit around campus, The you know, the UT systems people, wherever they're at, UT El Paso, wherever they're at. So you're not worried about the money. You ain't worried about the money. You, you'll find a way to make it, but you better be willing, as you go into this field, you better be willing to, uh, uh, to adapt and uh, midstream adjust, whatever it takes. You know, your guy comes in, he broke up with his girlfriend. 
girlfriend just came in to work out. She just broke up with her boyfriend all together through, uh, yeah, what you going to do, coach? What you going to do? How you going to handle that? So, I mean, dude, you got to start thinking about all these different scenarios that could possibly hit you as a coach. Because believe me, they're going to come at you. Absolutely. Coach, 10, ten minutes, uh, 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 if you would, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, and I definitely want you to be able to talk about your, uh, your summer program that you have going on out there at Washington. But just um, to, to, as we come to the conclusion, is there anything that you feel that you uh, uh, that was left unsaid that you'd like to add on to, which, to anything that you were talking about today? You know, I'll tell you what, man. I, I look back, and uh, here I am, 67, with no children. But I've got, I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children that are out there. You know, I wish, I wish I could have seen my own grow up and see how he or she would have been in this world. And uh, athletically, haven't been a pretty decent athlete. You know, that would have been fun to watch as I see the Eric Metcalfs come in with Terry Metcalf. As I see Blake Brockermeyer, who played for us, now his two boys are the two best linemen of the state of Texas. As I see, you know, David Hall, who was a GA for me, his daughter, Anna Hall, uh, just broke the prep record last year. She's a freshman at Georgia. As I see all my friends and former players, Lyle Senline, who played for the Cardinals, he was a starting center out there for nine years. He played at UT. He comes up to me one day, hey, coach, after the game, coach, my dad's in the stands. Like, Who's your dad? Robin Senline. What? Robin Senline played for me at UT. That's his son. I was still coaching. He was starting center for the Cardinals when we played him and I was at the Rams. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So that the Robin is like one of my children. So to see his son out there. So I can call any one of my former players. I love him. I'll, I'll be there for him. I'll do anything in my power to help him in any way, shape, or form. Like yourself, being able to help mentor young coaches in this field. I don't want anybody's job. I'm done. I've had a great career. When I called it a day, I called it a day. I'm not looking for anything else. Now we're out here in Washington, and nine years ago we started this camp. This is the poorest county out here where we're at, Grace Harbor County. It's right on the ocean. And, uh, you know, most of our kids are, are single parent. The spotted owl took the timber industry to its knees. You can't cut. So we had 13 law, uh, sawmills on the harbor. Now there's one. And so most of the men have gone. They've either gotten divorced or what have you. There's no work here. And to, to have started this deal, and they asked me to volunteer nine years ago. I've been volunteering with the school ever since. This summer, we're not able to have our camp because of the virus. It's unfortunate. We're waiting on word from the state of Washington whether or not we can start with the kids on July 6th. What's going to happen to the season, I don't know. But it's become a passion of mine now to bring former players and coaches uh, into this small area. We fly them into Seattle or Portland. We meet here. Each of the coaches spreads the word to these young guys. In a lot of cases, our suicide rate here is relatively high. There's a lot of rain here. And in some cases, there is not a lot of hope here because you're stuck in this harbor. Where am I going to go? We have had kids go on to Gonzaga, Washington State. I bring those kids back 
to talk to the younger kids. We just had a kid get a scholarship to Eastern Washington, a native Quinault Indian, who has, there's only been two or three in the history of this tribe. And dude, it's a big thing. I mean, they do, uh, they do powwows over there at Eastern. They do a lot of stuff for the natives. And Eastern, they've got Cooper Cup out there at the Rams in Los Angeles. They had a great lineman over there with the Tennessee Titans. So it's not like you can't make it. We try to tell our kids in this area, Darius, that, you know, we're going to make the big time where you are. We're going to bring it to you. We'll bring Dick Vermeil's been out here. Doug English has been out here. Number one overall pick, Kenneth Sims, one of my players. We're going to bring the big time, and these guys are going to explain to you that nothing, nothing is impossible. You put your mind to it, you continue to work at it, and you will be successful. And that's, that's kind of the message that we have, you know, for the kids out here. And, and uh, you know, it, it's uh, – I, I told my wife driving up here this year, Coach, that it just doesn't feel right. You know, I mean, I just wasn't really looking forward to getting here. And we pushed the trip back and back because we weren't going to be able to have the camp. And we were supposed to have been here a month ago. And, uh, you know, when I got here, I was thinking to myself, why? Why do I feel Why do I feel uh, a little bit on the depressed side? And why, you know, I got to think, well, what's different over the last, well, what's different is that every other summer, I was so stoked up to come out here. Number one, to see all my guys, my former players and stuff, uh, to get the hotels ready, uh, to get uh, get the camp ready, uh, to get the function ready, our dinner, our golf tournament, to get all the auction items in line, to get them to the people that are going to hand the auction. Used to do all of it myself for the first couple of years. Then we start delegating. We made like $1,500 our first year. Last summer, we made 38000 on the auction. We went from having 30 or 40 people inside the clubhouse at the golf tournament, which is almost totally full, to last year at the convention center with 250 people for a prime rib dinner, all you can eat. So we have really, we have really changed. And to think that a guy from Tacoma, Washington, could pull this off, you know, again, it's not me, man. It's all the people. It's all the people that we've recruited to help us along the way that have been really instrumental. And they have taken they have taken the drive and passion that I have for these kids, and they've taken it to a whole nother level, man. And they've they've all bought into what we're doing. And it is so much fun to look at the faces of these kids every year and to look at the, the coaches and all the people that are involved in this thing. They all come out and watch the kids, even though their part was to do the auction and get it ready. Well, the whole thing is about the kids on Sunday after we raise money and have a dinner and a golf tournament on Saturday. And the coaches that we have a get-together, a dinner for the coaches, so that old coaches that have come can meet new guys that are coming in. They can talk about their careers as a coach or as a player in college or in the NFL. We had eight Super Bowl rings out here three years ago. And we had a Hall of Fame head coach, Dick Verbeel. People were like, how did you get this guy to come here? I'll tell you, you can ask him how we got him to come here. He said, these are my coaches. Al Saunders is here. Uh, Jim Hannafin's here. I got three coaches from our staff on our Super Bowl champion. Without these guys, we don't win the Super Bowl. I'm just trying to pay back. And that's the kind of the guy Dick Verbeel is. I said, Coach, we can't do anything but fly you in. There's no money. Oh, no, you're not paying my way. I got miles. I'll fly myself in.
because I, I I've heard about what you're doing, Terry Tatalo, who Dick played for at UCLA. He comes up every year because of the local guy here played, grew up, played with him in Long Beach High School down at uh, Poly down there, and they grew up together. He said, "I'll get Terry to come up." The next thing you know, what? Shoot, I I didn't know Terry played for Dick at UCLA, drafted by Dick at Philadelphia when he left. So. I mean, it's such a small world in this industry. And uh, I guess the biggest thing, uh, you know, for coaches that are in this field, hey, and as I said earlier, there's thousands of recipes. There's thousands of different techniques. You know, always be open to listen to what other people have to say. I'm not saying my way is the only way or the way. It's the way that I did it. It worked for me. And you're going to have a different way. You might plug in a little bit of this, a little bit of that along the way. But Darius is going to have his way that he coaches, and it's going to be superb. I think one of the reasons it'll be superb, quite frankly, is the fact that you're open-minded. And in this business, you have to be open-minded. If you're closed-minded, you will fall behind. And your players, your players will notice that. You're falling behind because they have an open mind, most of them. When they go home and talk to their other buddies that are at Ohio State or Lamar University or University of Houston, they're going to be going, hey, coach, well, what about this? My, my, my buddy from high school is doing this, and, and uh, his, his vertical jump is this. So always be open-minded to these things and in this field. And if you are, you're going to be successful like yourself. Well, I appreciate that, Coach, and I appreciate your time. Don't want to uh, keep you any longer. Is there any way that anyone can reach out to you or if there's an email or anything that, that, that would like to assist uh, with your camp? Uh, I know it happens uh, usually every summer. So is there any, any way that anybody could reach out to you, contact you? Uh, that, that was, that's willing to assist? Maybe they want to, you know, give to, to, to aid the funds? Right, right, absolutely. My email, and it's D-A-D-A-D-U-K-E at yahoo.com. They'd be more than happy to email me, and, and we'll get right back to them. I uh, appreciate that, Coach. Appreciate your time again. This is the Coaches Collective here with Coach Dana LaDuke. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure as always. And I will be in touch with you soon, Coach. Thank you for your time, Coach. And it's always a pleasure to see you. Yes, sir. All right, my good man. Hey, I love you and coach. take care. Have a good one. All right. Same here, Bye-bye. Coach. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.